I'm excited to be here today. We're going to kick off a new series today that's really going to take us all the way up to Easter. I like to maybe even take the next few weeks, if we could, to to turn our attention toward the um, source and the point of Easter, and that is Jesus. And if you're here and maybe you're not even sure what you believe, maybe you came because someone invited you or you clicked on a link or someone sent you a link to this and you're not even sure about God, you're not sure about Jesus, I really believe that if you would lean in for a few weeks, that you're gonna get a perspective of who Jesus is that maybe you never even knew existed. I believe that. I think sometimes we've done a really bad job, I'm saying in the church at large, at portraying who Jesus really is to the world. And my hope is we look at who Jesus is through some stories of his life in the gospels that you get a fresh perspective. Now, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, do I have any followers of Jesus in the house today? All right, all right, we got some today. Let me just say this. You're either gonna love this series or hate it. It's about Jesus, why would I hate it? Well, when you find out what Jesus had to say about the religious people, I tell you, it's gonna hit a little close to home, okay? And so I'm just gonna preface this up front and say if you're someone who's been around church for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, I'll keep going 50. Anybody here 50 years or more in church? Anybody here 50 years or Okay, 60. Anybody here 60 years or Okay. Yeah, listen, I, I hope you love it. I do, I hope you love it. But here's the thing I found about Jesus, and that is the picture that we have of Jesus, I'm not really sure it's the most accurate because you know what, here's how we picture it in Western, in the Western civilization, we picture Jesus as this European white dude with kind of long light brown hair, sandy brown hair with some blonde highlights, had a weave in it or something, got a, you know, freshly manicured fingernails and uh, blue, soft blue loving eyes. And, 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 and yet, can I just tell you, that's not who Jesus is. I think there's going to be a lot of us they're going to be shocked when we meet him face to face. You're going to be like, oh, oh, I had no idea. Here's what I know about Jesus. He was loving, but he was also strong. And here's what I know about Jesus. He was gracious, but he would confront that which is wrong. And so I, I don't know where you sit in the, the, the spectrum of Jesus, but can I just tell you something? He's incredible. He's more than you could ever even imagine. And when you find Jesus, it changes everything. Some of you go, I don't like church and religion. That's fine. I might join you in some of that. But if you will meet Jesus, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. And, and even the times when Jesus was unhinged, that's what we're going to talk about. When Jesus went off the rails, when Jesus went off the script, you know, the script we think he should have been on. Let me, let me read something. Just stay standing for a moment. In John chapter 2, I want to read part of our passage today, and I, I just think maybe to honor him today. Um, I, I feel like this is going to be a little confrontational, so I, I'm trying to stall a little bit and hope you'll give me a little grace. Um, but it says this in John 2, verse 13, it says, It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. And in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables. I thought maybe blackjack dealers. I wasn't really sure when I first read this. They were exchanging foreign money. And so Jesus made a whip before Indiana Jones, there was Jesus. He made a whip from some ropes and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers, coins, all of it. Could you imagine how annoying that would have been? All your coins in the dirt. And he turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold the doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. I want to look at this moment, this story of Jesus becoming unhinged. And uh, I think maybe there's something that he wants to flip. Like he flipped out and he flipped the tables. 
do me a favor. Will you announce my title to the person next to you? Would you look at them and let them know the title? The title of my message today is Flip It. Just say it to them. Say, flip it. Flip it. Flip it. Say, flip it. Find five people and tell them, flip it. Flip it. Flip it. Flip it. Flip it. Thank God wants to flip something today. Come on, would you pray with me? Father, I'm ready for your word. God, we're not going to let an hour of sleep that we lost keep us from receiving the revelation that you have from heaven. And so, God, I pray you help me get out of the way. And I pray that, God, by your spirit, that you would speak directly to our hearts. I pray, God, that you would do a deep work in us. Lord, as we go through this series and we look to who you are, Jesus, I pray you would reveal yourself to every person. God, we love you. We're grateful to be in your house. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, come on, can you give him praise one more time? All right, you can be seated. I'm awake now. I needed the 930 to wake up. That was me. I needed it. So good thing you came to the 1115. You're going to get the good version. I'm just kidding. Don't tell anybody it was at 930. They'll be upset. Have you ever, um, let's just be honest, just... How many of you have ever flipped out on somebody, lost it? Raise your hand if you've ever flipped out, just lost it. It was good, a lot of you. I actually haven't um, ever really. I don't know why y'all laughing. That's, you don't believe me? No, I have, but not very much. I mean, you know, you know what's interesting? Because sometimes I think we have moments where we lose it emotionally, you know, we blow a lid, you kind of blow up at someone. There's these moments in our life where we lose control in a, in a moment, maybe do or say something that we regret. Uh, what's, what's interesting is like my wife and I have a, we have this great relationship where I can probably count on one hand. Now, maybe she'd correct me, I don't know, exaggerate. But um, of times where we've had like a really, really lose it fight with each other. Um, most of the time, I and mean, we have arguments like all married couples do, and we'll have little spats, and we'll have these moments where we, you know, we, we don't see eye to eye, and I think I'm right, and she knows it, but she'll find out later. And it's, I'm just kidding; she's shaking her head. No, it's usually the other way around. Let me just let me just speak the truth today. But uh, don't clap at that. Don't help her. I don't need any help. Don't don't be helping her. Um, there's one moment that I remember. I don't know if you remember this, honey. There's this one moment. Um, we were, I think, only been married a little bit. And um, we got into this fight while we were in the car. And she happened to be driving. I don't know why she was driving because usually I, she makes me drive everywhere. But she was driving this time. And we, we were heading home. We had a house in Pickering at the time, Pickerington. We were coming down 70 and getting off at 256. And we just, I don't know what happened, but we just had this, like, just this big fight in the car. I don't even remember what it was about. You ever notice that married couples, how many times you fight and you're so passionate about something, but you don't even remember what you were fighting about? That's why what you're fighting about in that moment isn't near as important as how you respond in the moment, because that's all you'll remember. Just a little advice for those of you who are just going to get married. That, mark that down. Write it. The only note you take, but that'll be worth it. Um, and, and so we, I lost it. I, again, I had a lot of times, but I got so mad I lost it. We came off of the freeway on 256. I don't know if you're familiar with the area. There's a cracker barrel. Somewhere. And I lost it. I was not in control. She was in control driving the car. And I didn't know what else to do. And I was mad. I was angry. I didn't want to be in the car. So I just said, pull this car over right now. Do you remember this? You don't remember it? Oh. I was like, pull this car over right now. So mad. I don't know what I'm going to do. When I'm just, you ever been that mad where you start talking through your teeth and you're angry and you're, pull this car over right now. Just like, was just like, and so she, she did. She pulled over. She could see how mad I was, okay? So and I'm like, I think I was hitting the door and all this stuff. And she, she's like, so she pulls over, really, right off of 256. She pulls over in the turn lane, slows down. As soon as the car comes to about a stop, I pull off the seatbelt and I jump out of the car. And I slam the door and I just took off walking that direction. Now, mind you, we're miles from our house, okay? And I'm mad, and I get out of the car, and I just start walking around, and I'm pacing, and you know what she did? Drove off. (laughs) Yeah, you did. You left me. Just left me. It's a miracle we've been married 25 years. 
I was, if you had driven by that day, it would have been hilarious because I'm angry. I don't know why I'm angry at this point. I can't remember. I'm mad and I'm pacing along 256 up and down in front of the Cracker Barrel and all that. And I'm just mad like this. Um, and and got to remember, guys, I mean, this is, this is before there was Uber. Like, I, I hadn't even thought it through. I wasn't sure how I was getting home. There's no smartphones. There's none of that. Thankfully, I have a gracious wife who came back and picked me up. That you can applaud. Do you remember this moment? She don't, man. I think I remember it because um, I don't usually flip out like that. But I lost it. I lost control. Now, on the surface... It kind of looks like Jesus has one of those kind of moments, okay? Uh, There are times in the story of Jesus, you'll find in the New Testament, where Jesus seemingly becomes unhinged, goes off the rails. He just like, he loses it. And this this is one of those moments. This is one of those situations. Now, I think we need to be careful, though, we don't compare our moments of losing it with Jesus's. Because in this moment, when Jesus kind of seemingly lost it, he actually wasn't out of control. He was very much in control. See, the problem is when our emotion takes over, we end up losing control. Then we end up saying and doing things we regret that are sinful, but not Jesus. What this was actually was a deep passion in him. It was a passion for what is right. Because what Jesus saw happening in the temple was not right. And so I think it's important that we don't look at moments when Jesus kind of becomes unhinged and think that that's a reason for us to do things that are seemingly unhinged. Because I've heard sometimes Christians who will use moments like this and they'll kind of say, well, see, if Jesus can flip over tables, that's what we need to do because our culture has just lost it. And man, I'm just going to go, we go flip some tables. Can I, can I just remind you something? You're not Jesus, and I'm not Jesus. And, and, and if I flip a table, I guarantee you I've sinned, okay? And, and by the way, I think sometimes I've heard people use this terminology for things that they want to do for those who are outside the church. Can I remind you where Jesus was when he flipped the tables over? He was inside the temple. So this was not about the culture. This is not about the world. This is him addressing a problem within the church. There's a difference. There's a big difference. And so Jesus, John tells us, is at the beginning of his ministry, when he walks into the, into the temple. Now, um, John will give us a couple points that are important that we need to know in John chapter 2. And I didn't read the context before this. But the moments before this, the days before this, was the very first time Jesus did a miraculous sign to reveal who he was. He was at a wedding in Cana, and they ran out of wine, and Jesus' mom asked him to do something about it. Hey, you remember those things you used to do when we were kids, and we were out of milk, and you just kind of, hmm, and we had extra milk. Jesus, can you help out? And, And then Jesus turned the water into what? Wine. Yeah, yeah. Do you know there's a lot of religious people that don't like that passage either? Well, it was unfermented. It was like grape juice. No, it was not. Read the passage. It didn't have enough time to ferment. He's God. He doesn't need any extra time. Okay? And so this was one of the first signs of who he was. And then it tells us it's days later and it's the Passover. Well, the Passover was a time, in fact, one of three times every year where, where people traveled from all over to Jerusalem, the epicenter of the Jewish faith, and then they would go to the temple, where in the temple they would bring a sacrifice. Now, if you remember the Passover, it was a reflected moment of what God did bringing the Israelites out of Egypt when God had them kill a lamb, put it over the doorposts of their homes, and therefore God did not come and take the firstborn, but passed over. So this this is something they've been celebrating for hundreds of years. The Passover, the Passover. And so Jesus does what you're always supposed to do. And he goes to the temple. And here's what's interesting is I'm thinking about this moment and realizing this is the beginning of his ministry. Why in the world would you start out your ministry creating enemies like this? But Jesus did. Think about this. This is not the way to build a base. This is not a good way to build your platform. This is not a great way to kind of gain popularity. But here's the thing we'll discover about Jesus. 
He didn't care about popularity. He cared about what was right. I love that about Jesus. If you're like, I'm not sure about church and all that, that's fine. Stick around. Let's talk about Jesus. I bet you'll like him. I bet you'll like him. There's a lot to like. And so Jesus goes to the temple. Now, you got to understand the temple was a sacred place for the, for the Jewish people. The temple, in their eyes, represented the house of God. This was the one place where you could meet with God through a priest. But this was like God's blessing and his favor on their people was at the temple. This was the house of God. This was the place that you came when you had guilt in your life for messing up, breaking commands, hurting someone. You came and you brought an offering and you gave an animal. They sacrificed it on your behalf. The priest blessed you. And then all of a sudden you could be right with God. This is, this is what the temple represented. Yet when Jesus walked into the temple, he sees something that sets him off. Now, I think it's important that we understand the setting of the temple because I think it's all related. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the history of the temple, but it actually all started before this when God gave a man named Moses plans to create a portable church called the tabernacle when the Israelites were in the wilderness. And God gave them such specific plans. Some of you have been doing uh, reading plans for your Bible, and so you have endured through some of all the detailed plans of the tabernacle. But, but God gave such specific plans, and here's why. Because the tabernacle was actually a replica of what was in heaven. The system that God was giving them was actually meant to model a bigger system and a bigger concept that God wanted to show people. And so it's really important that, that Moses followed all of the plans to the T. Now what's interesting is it went from a tabernacle to Solomon building a temple because David had it in his heart to build a temple and they built an actual permanent structure. But then it was destroyed when their enemies came in and took them captive, burned to the ground. They went and became captive in Babylon. Then they came back and rebuilt part of the, the temple, but it never really was what it used to be. And that was until... A guy rose to power before Jesus' time called Herod. The same Herod that tried to have all the babies two and under killed so he could find Jesus, that Herod. And Herod, when he came to power over Judea, he actually wanted to really build a bridge with the Jewish people. And so here's what he did. He offered to help build them expand the temple. And so Herod went to work. Now, I believe, now, scholars, some think this. It's not in the Bible, so you can take this for what it is. But I think it's possible that Herod was maybe helping build something, not just as a gift, but my guess is possibly also included a tax. Because, you know, it's kind of like when the government builds a new bridge, and then they set up a little toll booth in front of it and make you pay to go across it. So I wonder if that's what Herod was doing. That's just my, I'm just curious. But, but he helped build this elaborate temple. So he gets together with the religious leaders and they kind of, he orchestrates this massive structure on Mount Moriah where the temple is. But what you need to know that he got together with religious leaders to build was not really like the original. In fact, I want to show you, um, there was these different courtyards. Maybe you can put the picture up that I gave him there. This is kind of a, a picture of the temple. Now, this is not an actual picture. They didn't have drones back then and this is not the real thing. This is a model. For those of you who are just wondering how I got this incredible picture. But this is Herod's temple that he built for the Jews. And what I want you to recognize, because this takes place in the courtyard, but there are actually four courtyards. Josephus, a, a well-known first century um, historian, would tell us that King Herod helped with the religious leaders to build. The outer area that you see, that big, huge outer courtyard that has all those columns and everything, that was known as the courtyard of the Gentiles, okay? That was an area where anybody could come into the temple, whether you were Jewish or not, male, female, doesn't matter. You are allowed in there. That big open area is the very place where Jesus finds these people selling these animals and the money changers, okay, in the courtyard of Gentiles. Now, if you zoom in, I'll give him another picture to zoom in. This is, okay, a little closer. Um, this first courtyard, when you go in, was called the courtyard of the Israelites. This was a place where if you were Jewish, male or female, woman or male, you are allowed to go into the next courtyard. Now, I want you to note something because it's kind of significant. If you look around the edge of it, further out, you see those little white like barriers? They actually set up barriers 
as you got closer to the center part, this is, we're gonna get closer to where God is. There's barriers they set up, and if you were a Gentile, you were not even allowed to go past the barrier. So you're allowed to outer court, but just don't get too close. We don't, we don't want you to get any of the Gentile cooties on us or whatever. So, so then you go in. Now, inside of the court of the Israelites was divided into two separate courts. One was for the men, and the other's for men and women. And so men and women were allowed to go into the first part, but then there was another gate in separation where only the Jewish men could go. Women, uh-uh, you weren't good enough to get that close to God. The men could go. That's what it was like then. Then there is, if you pass through the next gate, you'll see there's another courtyard around the big, tall building. That was called the court of the priests. Only the Jewish men who were priests were allowed to go in there. What, what I want you to see is there was a process that everybody was allowed on the outside, but as you got closer to God, we start to streamline who's actually allowed to get there. And this, in that inner courtyard is where the priest would take your sacrifice, it's Passover time, would sacrifice the animal, give you a blessing, God's good with you, and then only one day a year was the high priest allowed to go into that building, into a room in that building, it was called the most holy place, or maybe you heard of the Holy of Holies, where there's a big curtain, and only could the high priest on the Day of Atonement go into that room one day a year. This was the model that they had. This is the very place where Jesus walked into and lost it. Now, I think what's important to understand is all these courtyards and all these layers and all these barriers, can I just tell you, this was not God's design. The design of this temple was a perversion of what God first enacted. What God created looked nothing like this. It wasn't about keeping all these people out. Now, God did create a system, a sacrificial system, because God is perfect and holy. And when we sin, there's something that separates us. And so God had created a system that was a placeholder so that we could actually get connected back to the Father. It was about this connection and relationship, okay? But what we have now in the religious system of Jesus' day is a perversion of what God intended, can I just tell you, it wasn't just back then, but it still exists today. Even in the modern church, we have still created factions. We've created things that separate. We've created areas that are create barriers for people. We've kind of said, if you look a certain way, you're welcome here. Or we've seen segregation in the church based on your skin color, based on your theological beliefs, based on your social class, based on all these things that have, and all God's heart has always been, I want my people to come to me. But what religion does is it creates barriers along the way. And so Jesus walks into this place where everybody's showing up to celebrate the Passover. I mean, this is, there's a significance to this moment. And, and he walks into this place and he sees that Jewish people from maybe hundreds of miles who traveled to honor God to, maybe it's the only time, maybe once, twice, three times a year, where they actually feel like they can be close to the presence of God. Might be the only time they can feel like they're right with God. I don't know if some of you know what it's like, but when I mess up and when I've sinned, like there's a weight that comes with it. There's a guilt. There's a shame. And I wonder how many people have been carrying that for maybe months and now they have their opportunity. And when they get in there and they need a sacrifice because that you didn't walk into the presence of God, you didn't show up empty handed, but you come with a sacrifice. The moment they do that, I walk up and there's these people that are selling sheep and cattle. Only they were upcharging because where else are you going to get one? Do you know there was a whole process of cleansing that happened outside the temple before you would ever, it take days, would get into the temple? And I wonder how many people went through that whole process only to walk in there and then realize, wait, wait, you charge how much for a baby lamb? It only cost that back home. Oh, you have no other options. See, what, what we know is that they were like extorting the people and Jesus makes a whip, and I don't think it was to whip the people. I don't see that. 
He says he drove them out. It was the sheep and it was the cattle. That's how you moved animals. He drove them out. And he sees, he sees money changers there. Why do you have money changers there? It's because in order to come and worship at the temple, every person had to pay a temple tax. And the only uh, currency they worked with was a shekel. And so you would bring your foreign money and you'd come to exchange it. I need a half shekel. I need to pay this temple tax. Okay, here you go. That's the exchange rate? Are you kidding me? Upcharge, upcharge. Now, um, I don't know if you've ever gone places where you feel like you're getting ripped off. There's a lot of places like that, right? By the way, if you ever travel international, best thing you can do is try to exchange the money with your bank or exchange the money with an actual bank. Don't go to one of those real convenient change places. You know what I'm talking about? They will rip you off with the exchange rate, right? There are places, though, we know this, where you walk into them and then they rip you off like the movie theaters. Where else does some popcorn cost you $8? You know what I'm talking about? You go buy a ticket for $10 and then you spend $38 buying a Coke and some popcorn for your family. And you're like, how do you get away with this? Well, you're kind of stuck at the movie theaters, the only place you're getting it, right? I don't know if you know what that's like, but in fact, uh, about a week or so ago, my wife and I got to go to Florida and visit some friends and have a little bit of time away. And uh, we went to Disney for two days because, well, we have a rule in our house that the only time, if you're ever in Florida, you have to go to Disney. It's my wife's rule. And um, don't help. You guys need to help me out, not her. And so we, we, went, we went to Disney and if if you go to Disney, you better plan to pay 50 or $60 for your lunch because that's they can do that when you show up there. I understand all that. The problem is Jesus walks into the temple, and these are people who just want to connect with their father. They just want to be right with God, and they're getting extorted, and the religious leaders are okay with it because there's probably a little something for them, and there's probably, they're okay with it. You know what I think really set Jesus off? I think it was the doves. I think it was the doves. Now, I don't think, like, Jesus was freaked out by birds. Anybody here freaked out by birds? I'm just curious, like, yeah, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, I, I, I just, I find people every once in a while, and they're weirded out by birds. I didn't understand that, but, but it's, it's not that. It's what they represented that meant so much. Because you can look at this, um, verse 16, it says, but when Jesus saw the people with the doves, he went over to them, and that's when he spoke, and he said, get these out of here. You're taking something, my father's house, and you've turned it into a market? You see, it wasn't about the birds so much as what they represented. So, so maybe if you're not familiar with the whole system and the way it worked, God, God gave them all these different sacrifices and offerings they could do depending on their life situation. So there was guilt offerings and burnt offerings and there were sin offerings and grain offerings, all these different offerings, fellowship offerings. And, okay? and so they would, they would call for a different animal or a different sacrifice based on kind of like what you'd done in your life. And, um, and so God knew that there were people that didn't have a lot. Like to sacrifice a sheep might be like, I mean, they don't have very much. It might be everything. It might be what their family's going to eat, They're, you know. And so here, here's what God did, and I love this. This is, again, what was God's heart? I'm just trying to show you something today, just something real simple, okay? His heart was, I don't want to make it hard for people who want to come to me. That's his heart. And so God allowed them, if they could not afford one of those four-legged animals, he would allow them to be able to sacrifice pigeon or a turtle dove. I think when he saw the doves, he really got mad because that was them extorting the poor who just want to come and get right with God. You understand why he got so angry? And so what, here's what religion does. R religion as a system, through all these systems, it ends up kind of like creating layers and rules in things that keep us further away from God. And it sets up all these barriers. And I think the moment Jesus saw all these barriers, he realized it's not what God intended. And these barriers are now be, have become a business. We're going to make money on your sin. We're going to make money 
on your failure, going to make money on your need to connect with God. And that messed him up. He was so incensed that he became unhinged. Became unhinged. And here's the thing when, when it comes to religion. Religion always creates barriers to God. What, what do I mean by that? Because some of you are going, well, aren't you guys religious? Isn't this, isn't this a religion? Eh, technically, but I don't see it that way. I know you could just say semantics, but I actually don't see it that way. See, what, here's what religion does. Religion says that if you act a certain way, perform a certain way, talk a certain way, don't say certain words, don't do certain things, then God accepts you, then God will love you, then you can be part of the community. That's what religion does. But, but here's what I know. Um, God's heart has never been about religion. And I think sometimes people confuse religion with the church and I think there's a huge difference between religion and having an authentic relationship with your Father in heaven. There's a huge difference in my eyes. This past week, I was in line at Subway for lunch. I, sometimes I like to eat fresh, and I was there. And, uh, and I was wearing an ex-church sweatshirt, and the lady next to me, it was just Subway employees in there, a lady next to me, she looked over and she said, uh, X churches, do you go to that church? I said, yeah, I attend there. I don't know if it's a lie to say that and not tell her like, well, I'm one of the pastors. Um, but I hate because the moment I tell people what I do, they automatically assume that I'm religious. And, and I see a difference. So I, I said, well, I, I attend there. And I said, well, okay, well, I said, well, actually, I'm one of the pastors there. I was like, I felt bad. I was like, I should tell her. And I said, one pastor's there. She's like, oh, okay. And the guy behind the counter, the glass, who was making my sandwich, he looked up at that moment, and, and he asked me an interesting question. He said, ex-church. He was like, do you all do religious things there? Because our name's a little different. I get it. strange. We're not like the something local community, blah, blah, blah. I get it. So I kind of like that. It really causes people, you know. And so he was like, do y'all do religious things there? I said, nope. <laughs> I did. I said, no. I don't know if that's a lie. It's not, I mean, I don't know what you consider religious stuff. We're just having a conversation about Jesus today. So, but, but I said, no. I was like, I, I said, we don't, we don't really do like religious. I said, I mean, we worship God and all. I was like, we'd love to have you. But, but I, in my mind, see, here's the problem. In my mind, I see it different. And I think maybe, and I get it, in the eyes of those who are, are outside the church, it's all just religion. But for those of us who may be a part of this community, I hope you see it differently. Because Jesus saw it differently. And when he walks in and he sees something, it angers him. Can I tell you what I believe as I read through the scriptures about Jesus? Do you know the thing that I believe angered him more than anything else? It was a religious spirit, a religious attitude, a self-righteous, pious attitude that people think I'm better than others because I follow more rules. In fact, every place you see a scripture where he becomes unhinged, it's always dealing with religious people. You, you would think that maybe it would be some of the other things that would offend him. You would think, that oh, that adulterous woman, she was caught in the middle of it and brought to Jesus. What should we do with her? Should we stone her? And Jesus is like, well, whoever's without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And they all drop him. And then he looks at her and he says, Who's your, where's your condemners? And he says, she says, there are none. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. He was a God of grace and truth. He, he gave both when he saw people, but it was the love. You would think that he would be most bothered by the tax collectors who were taking money from their own people. No, Jesus would go to the house of a tax collector. He would hang out and have dinner with all of them and invited one of them to be on his team. No, you would think that those are the people that would make Jesus so angry but it wasn't it was those with a religious spirit that angered him I wish those of you and maybe some of you are here today and you say I'm not a I'm not sure what I believe I'm glad you're here because I need you to hear this the thing that makes God so incredibly mad in the gospels wasn't the sin see the sin, we think it makes God mad. No, what it does, it actually separates us from him. It breaks his heart. 
The thing that makes them mad is the religious attitude where we forget how much we really need him. In fact, I, I would go so far, and I wanna, I wanna say something, that this is where it'll probably um, get a little confrontational, especially if you've been in church for a while. But I kind of felt like that was my assignment today, so forgive me. But I actually think when we talk about our spiritual journey, I actually think the most dangerous place to be is in the church, but far from God. I actually think that's the most dangerous place to live in. Because some of you, like me, you've been in church maybe your whole life. And what happens is when you're in an environment for so long, you can become really comfortable in that environment. And here's the danger, we can become comfortable in our own sin. We can have tables set up in our life and think it's not a problem with God. That, that we can be so close to God in proximity of being in his presence and yet somehow not being uncomfortable when we bring our sin into his presence. And I think the longer that you're around the church environment, the easier it is to become religious and self-righteous. And I think it's a warning to us. I'm talking to those of you that have been in church with me for a long time. Because I wonder how many tables that we've set up, that we've allowed in our life. And I wonder what Jesus would do about them today. I've got a question for you. And I'd love for you to write this question down. It's the only thing I want you to remember from today. You can forget all of what I said. I don't care if you'll remember this one question. Because I want this question to sit with you this week. I've been wrestling with this. And it's, it's not easy to answer. The, long, the longer you're in church, the harder it is to answer this question. And I think it's something that really should haunt us a little bit if we're really comfortable in church. And it's this question. What would Jesus flip over in my life? What would Jesus flip over in my life? Well, I don't know, Pastor, I've been, I'm really just following the Ten Commandments, and I'm just, you know, really, I show up and go to church every single week, and I've been giving a tithe, and I, I, I'm glad. That's great. I love all that. But I'm asking you, what would Jesus flip in your life? I feel like we need to start some new bracelets, WWJF. What would Jesus flip? Yeah, what, what would Jesus flip? And, and here's the thing. The reason why I think we need to sit in this for just a moment is because I actually think that we can be so comfortable in the church that we think, I don't have any tables set up. Because I don't do some of the things that I see the people in the world around me doing that have to be so egregious. You know, I mean, yeah, I got some small little things that I'm working out. That's the stuff we say. You know, what would Jesus, would he flip over a negative spirit that you live with every day? You know, a complaining, negative, grumbling spirit where you criticize everything and everybody. Nobody does it right. You're always so negative. You're like, well, that's, that's not a sin. It's just my personality type. No, no. And sometimes, listen, here's how we do it. I'm, I'm gonna get into the space of the religious for just a little bit, okay? Here's how we justify it. Well, I don't cuss. Well, that's great. You don't use a four-letter word. You got some other substitutes. We won't talk about those. I don't cuss. I don't do that. I know. But here's what I know. It wasn't cussing that kept the Israelites out of the promised land. It was a negative, complaining, grumbling spirit that lacked any faith at all that kept them from experiencing the promise that God had for them. See, I think there's some nuance that we got to get in on here. What, what, what would he flip in my life? Is it bursts of anger that I have? And, you know, I'm usually pretty good, but then if she sets me off, and, yeah, I know sometimes my kids, I lose my anger, and I, I throw stuff across the house, but I don't try to hit them with it. 
you've said enough without throwing anything. They got the message. Anger that is not righteous anger like Jesus had, and I'm not Jesus. I'm not flipping anybody's tables over. It does not produce the, the godliness that, that he looks for, the righteousness, James would say. I don't know, what table might he flip over? I wonder if he would love to step into the church today and flip over the table of gossip. Because we are so comfortable sitting in church and never feeling a little bit guilty about gossiping about others in the community, cutting down others in the community. Saying things about other people behind their back. Oh, no, I'm a, I come and I'll sing all the songs and raise my hands and clap and I'll shout the pastor down. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to go talk about, oh, can you believe her? And I can't believe that they did that. And I'll do this. Listen, I, and then here's the sad part is that we can show up every single week and we can be in this community and never even realize we have a table that Jesus wants to flip over. I think he'd flip some of those tables over, don't you? I know it's a, little, it's a little bit in your face, isn't it? I wonder if you flip over how we handle our, our money, our resources. Well, it's mine. I'm in control. Jesus is like, uh, you think you are? Let me flip that table over and we'll see how you like it. What would he flip over? Is it a relationship that you're in that is not honoring God? Let me say it this way because I don't want you to confuse this. A dating relationship that's not honoring God. You're doing things that's not honoring God, and you know it. And you've even felt like, I'm not supposed to be in this relationship, but you haven't broken it off. But I can show up and worship like there's nothing wrong, but God's speaking to me. And his spirit's leading me in a new direction. See, I think that, and this, I'm just speaking, I, I, I'm in this too, guys. The longer you've been in church, the easier it is to leave tables set up that he would love to flip over. And then point at everybody who's not in the room and say they're the problem. No, no, no. Jesus, he came to flip our tables in the church. I don't know what it is. It could be a theology. You know what I've seen develop? Theologies, ideologies, a, a political view that gets us to the point where we can actually criticize and talk badly about somebody and create wars. I just wonder if Jesus would flip some of that stuff over in the church. And I know we don't like this, and it gets quiet, and I'm okay with quiet today. I'm okay with that. Because I, th I think flipping makes us uncomfortable. I get it. But I actually think the most dangerous place to be is when you can sit in church and be absolutely comfortable with your tables. That he says, I want to flip that over. Because we don't even realize, but the tables that we've set up, they might be a barrier for you connecting with God and a barrier for somebody else to connect with God. A legalistic mindset. I can't believe it. You know, I, I just think, what would he want to flip? That's the question I just want us to sit with today. That's all. And if your reaction to any of these things are, preacher, you should back up. If, if you're like, I don't, I don't like, I don't like it when we preach about grace and we preach about stuff that we can all shout and holler about. Oh, I do too. But, but I actually think sometimes the greatest work happens when we get confronted with something that we need to deal with that's keeping us from God. I actually think that's the greatest work that happens in us. And our response, that's why I'm trying to make this a little bit uncomfortable. Why? Because we become so comfortable. Our response dictates whether or not we have a religious spirit or a humble spirit. Because the religious leaders did not take too kindly to this moment. In fact, I want you to hear their response. Because I think sometimes this is our response to defend ourselves. It says in verse 18, but the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Remember, this is the beginning of his ministry. Who do you think you are? Think you can come in here? We allowed that. I know, that's the problem. He's talking to the religious leaders. We said that, I know, that's the problem. Show us a sign, prove who you are. You have the authority. I love Jesus, so savage. Look at verse 19. All right, Jesus replied, 
destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Listen to what they said. What? They exclaimed, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But you all know Jesus. He's, I love this, but when Jesus said this temple, this temple, he meant his own body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember what he had, what, remembered he had said this and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. They didn't respond to what Jesus was doing, correcting in that moment. They defended it. We have one or two options when the spirit of God confronts a table in our life. We can sit on it. You ain't flipping this or you can let him flip it. Let him flip it. Some of us, we just need to let God flip it. And if, if you wonder why I think Jesus got so angry in this moment, I think if you zoom out, you'll actually see Jesus knew what the Passover was really about. See, he was here celebrating the Passover. But Jesus knew that he came to be our Passover lamb. He knew it. I think one of the reasons why he got so angry is because the system they had at the time for be, being made right with God, it was the thing that they had. Religion, man, leaders had stepped in and created more layers and rules and barriers and traditions that kept people further from God. And Jesus knew what he came to do, which was offer his life and offer himself as the sacrifice. And so he's thinking to himself, the last thing I want is some other man keeping people from coming to God when I'm giving my life for it. And I believe that moment at the beginning of his ministry, actually pointed to what would happen three years later. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but this wasn't the only time Jesus went through the temple and cleansed it. John tells us he did it at the beginning of the ministry. The other gospel, the synoptic gospel writers, tells us he did it at the end of the ministry. Exactly three years later when Jesus goes back to Jerusalem for the last time because it was Passover and he walked into the temple. Guess what? Nothing had changed. They're still selling stuff. When Jesus left, they set the tables back up. That's the worst thing, by the way, that we can do. The worst thing we can do is set the table back up. And they set them back up and Jesus cleansed them again. And he said, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And he said, you have turned it into a den of thieves and robbers. And he had to do it again. Why was he so angry all the time? Because it pointed to what he was going to do with his life, his death. And then he said, I'll prove it. I'll prove the authority when I get out of that grave. Then you'll know. You'll know. So I want to leave us with this, this challenge. What would Jesus flip in your life? That's been hard for me to wrestle with, not because I'm so perfect, but because I've been in the church so long that I have learned to overlook certain things in my life and justify them as though they're not sins. Jesus told this story once and I think there's one of two ways to respond in Luke 14 he told this story of two men who went to the temple to pray one was a religious Pharisee the other was a tax collector and the Pharisee gets to the temple and he prays here's, here's the way he talks to his father in heaven oh God thank you God thank you God that I am not like these other people that do all these really bad things Thank you, God, that I'm really not like this tax collector who is the bottom of the barrel. Thank you, God, that I do all these things right and I fast twice a week and I give a tithe and, oh, God, I do all these righteous things and that here's the tax collector. You know what his prayer was like? He didn't even have the guts to look up to heaven. He didn't have it. He felt so much guilt and shame that looking down, he beat his chest and he said, dear God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. You know what Jesus said? He said, which of those two do you think left justified? He said, the tax collector, because he dealt with his sin. And my prayer for us, and I'm talking especially those of us been around the church and I know we're shaking our head. Yes, amen, preach it. No, 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 I'm talking to you today, I'm talking to me. What does he want to flip? 
We can sit on it or we can let him flip it. That's what determines whether or not you actually get closer to him. Come on, y'all stand to your feet. I, I want us to maybe take a moment, personal reflection and prayer. And I, I know that this is a little confrontational and I hope you understand that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There really isn't. But I believe that this is that thing that can keep us on our journey from, from drawing close to God. And he, he desperately wants you, no matter what you've done. And so I wonder what in your life you've become so comfortable in that God said, I know, let me flip it. Let me flip it. Father, I, I just, I pray God in this moment that you would help me through my even religious eyes of being in the church all these years. I'm asking you, Jesus, to show me the tables that I've allowed to be set up in my life. God, the things I've justified that I say is my personality. No, it's actually sin. The, the things that I, I've been able to get comfortable in, in your house without addressing. I don't know how the spirit of God is speaking to you today. But the greatest thing that you can do today is to respond like that tax collector. I'm a sinner, God. Will you forgive me? So I don't know maybe if that table comes to your mind, but maybe in your own way right now, just you and your heart, you don't have to say it out loud. Maybe you're just going to say, God, will you forgive me? God, will you flip this table? And if you don't know what it is, why don't you ask him, Jesus, what do you want to flip? God, we just ask right now that you would, that God, you would enable us to step fully into your presence. And God, I thank you for sending Jesus to be the sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice for my sin. God, I am so grateful for Jesus today. I'm grateful, God, that, that you cared so much about me that you sent Jesus to die for me. Father, I pray that today we have a new appreciation, a new love for Jesus. God, I thank you for the grace. I thank you for your mercy. God, I just declare that this is a house of mercy, that this is a space of grace, that God, where we can come to you broken, we can come to you far away, and we can draw near to you because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so today, God, in this moment, we just set our hearts to worship you. Come on, we're just going to lift our eyes and put it on Jesus. Come on, maybe it's not religion, but, but I wonder if today, maybe in your heart, you begin to worship Jesus for who Jesus is, that you begin to declare, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, the things in my life, the idols in my life, God, I lay them down before you, God, and I want to surrender my life to you today, Jesus. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.